Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Alzheimer's Speaks Radio. I am excited to be here today. It's uh, beautiful blue skies in Minnesota. Still a little chilly, but uh, at least I don't live up north where they're going to get another six to eight inches of snow today. So I'm, I'm feeling pretty, <clears throat> pretty thankful. <coughs> Excuse me. The allergies are kicking in with the with the uh, season change here. Don't know if anybody saw the full moon out there last night. It wasn't blood red anyways. It sure wasn't in uh, Minnesota, but it absolutely was gorgeous. Before I get started with uh, introducing our guest today, and I, who I'm so excited to have, because I think this is going to be a really, really good conversation, I uh, want to first tell people about Alzheimer's Speaks Radio and how we got started Uh, just because we always get new listeners. And so Alzheimer's Speaks, for those of you who are not familiar with us, is an advocacy-based company providing multiple platforms to shift our dementia care culture from crisis to comfort around the world. And we believe that by joining forces and sharing knowledge and just having these everyday conversations like we are today, um, we're going to be able to remove the stigmas attached to memory loss and help those living with this disease live great purpose filled lives. And together, we're all going to have a better understanding of the true needs, and we're going to be able to be a little bit more compassionate and accepting of differences between us. At our core, we really feel strongly that we're going to win this battle against dementia. And it might not be in a cure in our lifetime, um, but it will be one of acceptance and learning how to become dementia-friendly and what that means. And I know that we're having a massive impact because we were honored by Dr. Oz in ShareCare as the number one influencer online for Alzheimer's. And that would not have happened without all of your help and support. You see, it is your likes, your clicks, your shares, your tweets that help spread these simple little programs like we do on Alzheimer's Speaks um, to your circle of friends and your colleagues. Because you never know who's going to need this information because this still is a fairly taboo topic and people are uncomfortable discussing it and bringing it up. So the more we can just kind of place information at their hands so when they're ready, They can go ahead and listen to a show because all of our shows are archived, and we've been doing this almost three years now. Um, Same with the Alzheimer's Speaks blog. We've been doing that for, oh, my goodness, almost five years now. So lots of great information on there. And then, of course, we do the dementia chats on on Tuesdays, on the second and fourth Tuesdays, and those are all recorded. And those are a free webinar where our experts actually are diagnosed with the disease. 
who would have thought to actually ask the people living with the disease, what's it like? No longer do we have to be peering in a window, guessing at what's going on within somebody's body, mind, and heart. We can just have a conversation. So those, uh, the dementia chats to me are, are so fascinating, and I learn so much from our, um, from our panel of experts each and every time. Now, on uh, Alzheimer's Speaks Radio, you can call in live at 714-364-4757. Again, that's 714-364-4757. Or you can use your chat box to communicate with us as well. Um, now, I also wanted just to give a shout-out to some of my favorite organizations because I think I, I, people are asking about stuff all the time. And so Alzheimer's Disease International um, is the Alzheimer's, it's the association of all the Alzheimer's associations around the world. So if you are looking for support or information, they are an absolutely Fabulous resource. Again, that's Alzheimer's Disease International. They also have their um, annual conference coming up, and that is May 1st to the 4th in Puerto Rico, uh, in San Juan. And so that's a fabulous conference. I'm not going to be able to be there because I am speaking elsewhere, but I know there's still early registration discounts, so feel free to check that out. The Alzheimer's Studies uh, group has some clinical trials going on. They've got a third trial with tau, and they just started one on frontal temporal lobe. So if you're looking to help research push forward and want to get involved, check out alzheimerstudies.com, or you can find them as the Alzheimer's team on Facebook. And then uh, I can't speak highly enough about the Alzheimer's Research and Prevention Foundation. These guys have been around for over 20 years, and they really take a holistic approach to healing. And so they're all about um, the mind, body, and spirit. And so they approach things um, through uh, diet and exercise and meditation. And if you haven't checked them out, I would really recommend that you do so. And then there are some specific associations for um, specific types of dementia, like the Lewy Body Association, the Frontal Temporal um, Degeneration Association, and the National Aphasia Association. Um, if you're dealing with any of these specifics, it's a great place to get resources for you. Uh, and then we always have people asking, you know, how do I interact? How do I engage? And Puzzle With Me has a uh, a great puzzle that's age appropriate, um, size appropriate. Um, so check them out. Jane's really done a lot of work in terms of putting that together. And then I'm a huge, huge believer in music. So um, Music First with Coral Health um, can actually help you kind of write a prescription <laughs> um, to help not only with dementia, but basically anything. It's used for cancer, for newborns, but, you know, emotions are triggered by the music we listen to and it can you know pick us up or put us down um it can wake us up it can put us to sleep so check out music first i think you'll be absolutely fascinated and then the other one um that is just a great intergenerational game is called jiminy wicket and it's a croquet game that can actually be played by families 
um, that's adaptable, and it is also utilized in the school systems um, where they team up with memory care and they educate the children and um, and then also work with uh, with uh, those people affected by dementia. So it's an absolutely uh, fabulous, fabulous uh um, way to engage. So I just wanted to um, to mention those uh, so that you have that information as well. So let me go ahead and introduce our our guest today. Oh, I forgot I forgot one thing. The Purple Angel song you might have heard. Um, it was the first time I've actually I think played it here on the radio. Um, the Purple Angel is the new global symbol for dementia. And if you want more information on that, please contact me. I would love to talk with you about how you can get involved, how you can utilize this new global symbol because it really is uh, catching on um, both um, over in the UK where it started as well as in the US here. So let me go ahead and introduce uh, Joanna Liefer. She is a, a fabulous um, woman. I'm ex- so excited to have her on today because we're going to be talking about nursing homes. You know, what questions do you ask? What do you look for when you're dealing with somebody with dementia and you might have to place them? And what other types of housing options are available? And Joanna knows all the ins and outs of senior care firsthand as she's been working in the senior industry for over 10 years. Um, she also deals very, very closely with family, and family dynamics is, is absolutely massive. I mean, just look at your own family, and you can probably chuckle with some of the things that occur. Um, so having an outside eye can be so helpful. She was also the primary caregiver for her parents in their final years and worked for the foremost um, advocacy organization for the elderly in New York for five years. She founded Elder Caregiving, which is a consulting service that helps families make care decisions for their aging loved ones who can no longer live independently. She holds an MBA and is a geriatric uh, has a geriatric scholar certificate. She's also on the board of the Eastside Council on Aging in New York City. She speaks on senior care topics and writes a monthly column for the community newspaper group publications. And her book, Almost Like Home, A Family Guide for Navigating the Nursing Home Maze, offers essential information on how to find that right nursing home and how to get the best care not an easy thing to do the book is available um, on her website and also on amazon so let me welcome uh joanna to the show today how are you doing there joanna i'm doing fine it's a pleasure to be on the show today well, I am so excited to have you. I, I, I absolutely adore your book. Um, it is loaded with so much information. And, you know, I I placed both of my parents in a, in a nursing home. 
And, um, you know, my dad had brain cancer and, you know, ended up in the hospital, uh, you know, after a fall. And then we really didn't have much choice as to where he could go. Um, there was only, you know, a couple of openings all, you know, in the whole Twin Cities area. And then my mom actually chose to move into the nursing home because she wanted to be with him, um, which was absolutely wonderful. And so, um, you know, I wish I would have had your book um, back back in the day, you know, 15 years ago when I was doing all this. What made you decide to write the book, Joanna? I, uh, I did care for my parents in their final years, and I became aware that there really wasn't a lot of information there. I think I learned, like a lot of people, just trial by fire, and I made a lot of mistakes. So as I began to understand the industry, I became aware that there are a lot of other people who can use this information, and I felt that it was important to put out. Not only because I did it personally, but because I did work for an advocacy organization for the elderly. And I learned how the dynamics of dealing with people in the elder industry and how you can get the best care. So I felt as though it was a mission to get this information out to people. Well, I'm glad you had that mission. Can you tell us what are some of the common misconceptions about nursing homes? And and I'm sure I'll throw my two cents worth in because after my journey, you know, my mom's been, I was in the nursing home for 13 years. So I saw a little bit of everything, I think. (laughs) Yes, I'm sure you did. And I will have to to preface that by saying nobody really wants to go into a nursing home. But sometimes it's the best solution. A lot of people feel as though a nursing home is a place where people go to die. And I can't put this sweetly, but if you go into a nursing home, you're already sick. It's not like you go into a nursing home and get sick. You're already in a a position where you can't stay at home. So first, you have to understand that it's not a place for well people to begin with. But there's a great deal more that goes on in a nursing home. A lot of people, like it sounds like your mother, lived there for many years. Mm -hmm. But many people assume because it's the last stop that they really don't have to consider a nursing home as a place for people to live. They think of it more as a place for people to die. And as a result, they don't really look for what makes the nursing home the best place for a person to stay and thrive, because some people do. Once they're placed in a a situation where they can be with other people, where they can be stimulated, where they can be comfortable. And so that's the biggest misconception about nursing homes, that they are only there for people to die. You know, it was really funny because on my journey, I was in real estate, um, residential real estate for 25 years, and I specialized in the senior market, and I helped people make housing choices. And it was really easy for me for me as an outsider to help others make choices and look at big picture of what all types of, of communities have to offer, a nursing home included. And what I found interesting was it was really easy until I had to make that decision for my own family. And then, that is so um, true. 
And then all of a sudden, uh, my brain thought differently. I thought I can do better, um, you know, than a nursing home. Can I can do this? I can kind of be this superwoman. And, mm-hmm. I, you know, I can look back at it and laugh now. Um, but it was it was a day when I walked into the nursing home um, where we can we can hear you breathing a little bit. If you can pull the um, mic a little bit away from your your uh, phone, that would be great. Um, But what happened was, um, I'll never forget the day I went to visit my mom, and she was sitting in a kind of a a circle and um, a horseshoe with an activities person in the middle. And there was probably, I don't know, eight to ten people in this horseshoe. And she was just holding up like, I think it was like an Oprah magazine, and it had all these spring flowers on it. And I sat back and I watched as this beautiful energy of this activities gal was engaging everybody. And they all went around and talked about what what that picture ignited in them. And my heart melted because I thought, no matter how hard I tried, there's no way I could give my mom this peer interaction she was feeling and this sense of belonging to a group. She's part of my family, and I love her dearly, but it's different than Mm -hmm. having peers. And to me, that was one of the most biggest aha moments in terms of shifting my mindset of what they can get even in an environment of a nursing home of my mom laughing and belonging and and feeling good and it was just so beautiful it was just absolutely beautiful it still just brings tears to my eyes just thinking about it um Mm -hmm. because it was something i think that's absolutely true Mm-hmm. Yes, and I think that's very true. I, in the, the preface of my book, I talked of my sister, brother, and I had sworn not to put my mother or my father into any kind of institutional setting. But as, as you say, many people find out that it's just too difficult to care for someone at home. And only if you've been in that situation, when you find your mother up walking around all night or all day, can you realize how difficult it is to be there for them and still take care of yourself? There's also the realization, a lot of people don't realize that a nursing home gives people a chance to socialize. Just because you have Alzheimer's doesn't mean that you aren't a social person. And many people really thrive once they get into a nursing home. They're suddenly more stimulated. There's activities going on. They're not sitting around in front of the TV set. So many times a nursing home or assisted living really can offer a person with Alzheimer's a lot more options and a lot better care than they can get if they're isolated or living with you only. That's quite true. Yeah, and and that is it's so important. It's just so so important. What are some other misconceptions about about nursing homes? Well, as I say, a lot of people assume that it's a short-term stay, that people go there to die. When actually I have seen people who have gone into nursing homes and suddenly they seem to get a lot better because particularly with something like Alzheimer's, if you are sitting at home alone, your brain isn't being stimulated. If you're around other people and you see other sites, 
if you're listening to other people, suddenly there's more of an interchange. In addition, everything is taken care of for you. You you always have a, a bed to sleep in. You have nourishing food. A lot of people who stay home don't get the diet that they should. There are doctors available. There are wonderful new programs for dementia patients now. As you mentioned before, music is a very big part of uh, Alzheimer's care. I've, uh, there's a video, a YouTube video that went viral uh, about a year ago called Alive Inside, in which oh, yeah. a man, have you seen that? It's just, oh, it just brings yeah. tears to my eyes. It, it's this to, for, for listeners out there. It shows a man who has not really spoken for years. He's sitting in a wheelchair, and his daughter puts an iPod on with Cad Calloway music, which he loved when he was younger. And as soon as the music started, his, his head came up, his eyes opened, he started snapping his fingers, tapping his toes, and singing. It was like a miracle. And every time I see that, I cry. Because these are things that people don't realize unless you are aware of what's going on uh, in dementia care now. It's just wonderful. Yeah, it's it's pretty fabulous, um, the things that are changing. And, um, you know, the way that people are communicating differently and being able to share, you know, through YouTube videos and stuff. We've got some of my mom that... You know, I think one of them's got over 60,000 hits. And this is just something that, that we did for our family, you know, was to mm-hmm. uh, have, a, have a musician come in and sing. And it was really more for us personally. And I thought, well, I'm going to post this because you just, you never know, you know, what's going to hit somebody. And I've literally walked into conferences and seen my mom on the big screen <laughs> where someone has, <laughs> has it up there because it, because it, it, does happen and more often than not and it's a simple thing that doesn't cost any money doesn't really take any time but is so powerful um to be able to be to be utilized um exactly i think you bring mm-hmm. up you know good um comments about you know even nutrition and medications in terms of making sure that it's structured because boy if people don't eat right or if they're not hydrated um or you know they they aren't taking their medications properly boy things things can turn downhill really really quickly and um you know the stability of routine i think can be absolutely powerful as well Mhm. Right. With that, anything else you wanted to add about misconceptions? Well, I, would, I if I'd like to just segue into misconceptions about dementia care in nursing homes. I this is another there is a lot of misconceptions about dementia care. First of all, dementia care has become big business. It's become hype. Every every nursing home now has a dementia wing. But Not all dementia care is the same, and that's what a lot of people are not aware of. I I can talk from my own personal experience when my mother first had to go into a a facility. Now, this wasn't actually nursing home care. This was assisted living, but we decided she was to go into a facility. My father was going to be in the independent care. My mother was going to every day go to the dementia ward. We thought this would be perfect. 
However, what we weren't aware of was how my mother would interact with the other people there. As it turns out, the dementia ward of this particular facility was about the size of um, a large bedroom. And in that room, these all the dementia patients were asked to do things like fold towels and stir uh, things for cooking. Basically, they were sedentary activities. Now, my mother was not a sedentary person. At this time of her dementia care, my mother needed to do a lot of walking around. I also have to say this was not a secured uh, facility. So in other words, instead of having a room where you can't walk out of, every person was given a wander guard. So my mother had a wander guard, so in case she walked out of the area. And my mother did at least 25 times in the first hour. So wow. after a while, it was a lot, and they had to keep on bringing her back, and she would sit down and forget she was supposed to be sitting, and she would walk out again. So after a few days, the administration called my, my family in, and they were very polite. They said, um, you know, your mother's a very nice person, but she cannot stay here. Your father can stay, but your mother can't stay here. She's too active a person. And suddenly we were aware that this particular place, even though they said they had activities for Alzheimer's and other dementia patients, they did not have an active Alzheimer's program. And from there, we began to realize that you have to ask certain questions when you go into a facility. You know, what kind of programs do you have? Uh, how large is the place? Because if depending on the stage of Alzheimer's, you have different needs. A person in the early stage needs a lot of stimulation. They need to be walk around. They can do a lot of things that people in the later stages can't do. They can uh, they can dance. That's another big activity that can be done with uh, for Alzheimer's patients. They. Dancing does not deal with the mental part of the brain. It's emotional. So you can see dementia patients, Alzheimer's patients, who are dancing to music. You can see people who are interacting with each other, walking around. So in the early stages, you need a program where these people are going to be physically and mentally stimulated. Later mm -hmm. on in their care, as the disease progresses, and they are not as active, they need other types of, of activities, things they can do sitting down. Uh, a big activity that seems to be very popular in, in the place where my mom was, was hitting a balloon back and forth. Uh, and I tell you, some of those, those people were really good. You know, you could play hit the balloon, and I, I would be running all over the place trying to get the balloon back, and these people just were, they just knew how to to hit the balloon, get it to the place they wanted. These are important things to know. Not all dementia wards are the same, and that's mm -hmm. really important to know. It's very true. Uh, you know, here in Minnesota, I mean, we have, um, you know, everybody's coming up with their own individual programs, which is nice 
yet very complicated to the public at the same time in terms of knowing what actually is going on and, and what's available, <laughs> you know, out there. It's um, kind of crazy. So there are some that, you know, have programs that are, you know, 8 to 15 activities a day, and they're really proud that they have all mm-hmm. these other ones. And, and others really focus on one-on-ones, not so much the the you know constant movement um you know of people but really focus on that that one on one and pulling pulling people out so and then what what constitutes an activity you know or an engagement what what is that is it bingo is it dancing is it a sing along is it somebody coming in or is it getting your nails done or helping make a bed or getting dressed you know all of those things are are different too. So I think when when you're asking what types of activities you need to really get samples of what do they consider an activity and what do they consider purposeful engagement because I think they can be different. Would you agree with that statement? Absolutely. Absolutely. It is very important for people to understand what the activities are in a every single place they look at and ask lots of questions get a walk around get an idea of what's going on there's also a lot of cues you can get by just looking at the facility for instance uh many alzheimer's wards have colorful paintings on the wall to to kind of stimulate the people make them feel as though there is like a an outside scene a, a gentle garden but you also have to make sure that there's not too much stimulus. Like if you were to see a jungle scene on a wall, this can be very scary to somebody who has uh, Alzheimer's, you know, to see these wild animals prowling around. So you have to understand exactly what is being put out there uh, so that it's soothing and stimulating but not overly stimulating and scary. Mm-hmm. So there are a lot of things to learn about, yes. Yeah, I think that, that that makes a lot of sense. That overstimulation is is critical. Um in a nursing home, in your own personal home, you know, wherever it you might be, it's uh it's pretty fascinating um how how things can be triggered. And really important to understand, really, really important to to be able to understand the differences. Mm-hmm. What, do, what do you think about, um, you know, staff training? And um, do you, is that an important question for people to ask when they're looking at, uh, at dementia care in a nursing home? Absolutely. That, that's very, that's very good point. Yes, because Alzheimer's and dementia patients react differently to to people coming up to them. People who are being trained have to understand that they have to be a little more gentle with people with Alzheimer's. Like you don't want to come up to them abruptly. You have to be able to come around to them, face them, maybe at their own level. Like if they're sitting, it's best for the for the staff member also to be kind of stoop down, be able to look them in the eye. They shouldn't shout. They have to be very careful about keeping their voice down and keeping things friendly. 
they must be aware of the different stages of Alzheimer's, particularly the the sundowning syndrome that happens in the evening, when a lot of uh, a lot of Alzheimer's patients begin to get a little disturbed. So, so being trained on how to interact with patients is good. Also, it's really important that they understand how to interact with uh, with the families. Uh, I once sat in on a training session at a facility in which the uh, staff was learning how to deal with caregivers. They were they were having explained to them that the family members are usually so upset and, and feel so responsible for their loved one that they sometimes get a little adversarial with the staff. And of course, anytime you get uh, somebody approaches you and they're a little indignant or accuse you of things, you suddenly back off. But you have to realize that these people have a lot of stresses in their life and they feel out of control. And when they're, when they're sounding adversarial, what they're actually doing is pleading for help. So, yes, it's important that the staff understand how to deal with the patients and also how to deal with the families. Yeah, I I totally totally agree with that. And and what about like staff turnover? I mean, for me that was probably one of the biggest frustrating pieces was I I was probably a, one of their biggest raving fans where my mom and dad were, but the last couple of years was really difficult because they had a major major staff turnover and it never it never got back to the same level of care in my eyes. And um which was really a disappointment and really frustrating. Um, do you see turnover having a huge effect, and what kinds of questions should families ask about that? That's that's a very good point. Um, it's good to be able to ask about the staffing and how long people have been around and the training. Uh, it's always difficult. The future is always unknown. Uh, things can go on the same as ever, and then suddenly something will change. We have a very big episode right here. I'm, I'm living in New York, and there's a assisted living that has been in existence here for oh over 10 years. And suddenly they've made an announcement that they are closing. They're giving the staff three uh, the residents three months to find another place. This is oh, throwing wow. everybody in a terrible turmoil. Uh, it, it's very very scary. And there really isn't much you can do about that. I mean, there's always these issues that are going to come up. But you, the best thing you can do is to try to plan ahead. And although you can't anticipate everything, at least keep aware of what's going on in the industry. It's almost like when, when I tell people that they, they find out that their loved one has Alzheimer's. I say, it's time to start looking now. You might not think that you that your mom will ever have to go into a nursing home, but wouldn't it be a good idea to look just in case so you aren't, aren't suddenly needing to make a decision right away without really any thinking about it? So I mm-hmm. always tell people to keep involved. Know what's going on. Know about facilities tour what's going on, be involved with associations, the Alzheimer's Association. Know people like like you, people with programs like yours that are up to date on on these kind of things or have 
listeners who know and can express their feelings. So you can share information. But it's important to to keep as on top of things as you can because sometimes things do change. And if worse comes to worse, of course, you can always change where your loved one is staying. You don't want that to be because that is very disorienting. But at the same time, if you're concerned with their care, change before it's too late, before something goes wrong. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree. It's um, it's an interesting process. Um, what what is your thoughts of um, locked wards? I mean, people and people call them wards. They call them neighborhoods. They call them units. Um, you know, all this different terminology can be really confusing. Um, what what are your thoughts on on having different levels? Of, of care for dementia within a nursing yeah, home? That, that is a good question. Uh, first of all, there, there's the terminology. Actually, the Alzheimer's wings are usually not locked wards. So they're called secured wards, which means that the doors can be opened, but usually you need some kind of code to get out. There are really different levels. Here's the – a lot – some places really – Feel that you could put dementia patients in with the regular population, that they should be just as stimulated, that they can get a lot of uh, stimulus from people without dementia. And in some cases, this can be fine. Then there is the level of having these wander guards, which can be fine for many people who were, unlike my mother, who would wander out all the time. Uh, and then there's finally the secured ward where you do need to have some kind of key to understanding how to get out of of the ward. And it really is a matter of personal preference, what you feel is best. Um, I know one, one thing I found when my mother was in a secured ward, all the doors were open. Everybody had her own or his own bedroom but doors were never really closed. And what would happen is because all of these people were really not aware of which rooms were there, they would often go into somebody else's room and go in their closet and take some of their clothes. So I would go into the dining room sometimes and I'd find my mother's dress on Thelma or something like that, which didn't bother me. I found that kind of endearing to think it was one big happy family. You know, that Thelma could wear my mom's clothes, mom could wear Roberta's clothes. But some people don't like that. They feel as though that's really an infringement on on privacy. And Mm -hmm. if that's the case, they would not be happy in this kind of situation. Um, So you really have to think about what what the needs are. If you feel as though you should mainstream your mom or if you should want them in a ward where they're separate, so they're not overstimulated or they can't walk out. It's really it's really a personal decision in that respect. I think that's a really good point in terms of how things are are looked at um and and the sharing of clothes because <laughs> that can drive some families absolutely berserk. Um Absolutely. but you think of growing up in a house how many times did you know 
a sibling, you know, take something of yours that <laughs> you mm-hmm. didn't want them to wear, you know, and and mm-hmm. so that's a, that's a nice way to kind of frame it. Um, mm-hmm. But I think part of it is getting to know that they're really, it, it wasn't done to be harmful or to be hurtful. You know, it's part of the disease. And when things aren't locked, like if closets aren't locked, um, you may have people living there who are going to wander and, and kind of peruse, <laughs> exactly. you know, everybody's stuff. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, for my for my mom, when my dad, I'll, I'll just use this as an example, when my dad was in the nursing home and my mom would go visit at first, it was very difficult for her because some people would come and they would just literally want to grab her purse or they'd ask her for mm-hmm. 10 cents so they could go get the bus or the train. And she didn't know mm-hmm. what was going on. Um, and so when my mom chose to move into the nursing home, my dad was on what I would I would label as a little wilder floor back then, you know. And again, this was 15 <laughs> years ago, but but it was it was a little wilder. There was you know yelling and moaning and a little bit of theft going on and stuff like that. And and, um, and so when my mom moved in, she moved into onto the main floor, which was really a mixture. It wasn't a, a memory care. Um, unit um, or community, whatever you want to call it, and she just she loved it there. I mean, she made great mm-hmm. friends, and you know, to the day she died, um, she still had you know good friends both in staff and in some residents that were there as long as her. You know, mm-hmm. and so mm-hmm. um, I think there's 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 beauty in that mixture. And again, when she was. When she first moved in, she was more mid-stages but had great social skills. And so a lot of people didn't even know she had dementia. Um, some mm-hmm. people thought she was there visiting, you know, other people. And um, But, again, if you spent any amount of time, you would be able to, to figure that out. So I think it really is figuring out the needs of your loved one, not only today but tomorrow because exactly. Sometimes people they're like, oh gosh, now we're at now we're at this stage and now they can't accommodate it, so now we have to move again. And that's one of the things I loved where my mom was at is, you know, she she switched to three different units in her lifetime there, and it was that's beautiful true. because because she still had similar routines and similar staff, and even when she would make the adjustment, staff from the other unit would still come and visit her or they would rotate around. I mean, it was just, it was fabulous um, to give her that consistency. It was really quite nice. I I just want to state uh, on the other side of that, and and hopefully Mm -hmm. that's true, but sometimes you do have to look ahead for a future care because there are some places that have good care in certain segments and then the care is different when you get to another segment. So you really have to think ahead to what the next step is and if you want your, your mom or dad uh, to go into that next section. You really have to consider the, the whole span of time. I did want to mention one other thing that I think is really important when you select a residence or, or a nursing home. And this is what kind of affiliations they have. Um, particularly, I'm thinking of if if they have programs with their local Alzheimer's Association, because a lot of things are changing in the field now. Uh, as I stated earlier, there's this big movement now to using music, which has become such a wonderful way of 
of stimulating people with dementia. But there are other programs that are being developed as well, you know, like programs dealing with that that uh, sundowning syndrome. There mm-hmm. was a case where my mom was where there is uh, one woman, I'll call her Nancy, who every evening would stand in front of the elevator door waiting to get out. Now, she couldn't get out because the, the, you needed a code to get out, but she would stand there hoping that the door would open. She would be pacing and pacing. And nobody really understood why. It wasn't until the staff was trained to go up to her, and if they got close enough, they realized she felt she was at work and she had to go down, uh, leave, and go home and feed her family. So she mm-hmm. was very agitated that the elevator wasn't coming because her family was going to starve. So the staff learned that they could calm her down by saying, don't worry, we've already spoken to your, your children. They know you're going to be late. They already have food on the table. And that would calm her right away. So and little things a, like that make a difference. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, such an easy thing to change when we pay attention and understand the mode behind the madness because all of us, you know, use the same equation. You know, it's our past mm-hmm. experiences um, and our current mood, you know, create our perceptions and then our perceptions mm-hmm. trigger our our reactions. And so when mm-hmm. when we as family or as staff don't like those reactions, we like to call them behaviors. Mm-hmm. Um and, and yet many times they are controllable or modifiable um if we just do our, if we just pay attention. You know, if mm-hmm. we just really pay attention. And so that would understand that was really what's motivating it. Yes. And there's yeah. one other thing. This is a this is a topic I discuss in my book as well. A new I don't know if the term is development, but there's a new trend towards what they call comfort care. This is in the later stages of Alzheimer's. There's People have to realize that after a certain amount of time, there's really no – Alzheimer's is fatal. Nobody gets better from Alzheimer's. But yet a lot of times people and medical people, medical staff, feel – that they have to do things medically to make people better. Whereas now there's this realization as as time gets closer to the end, sometimes it's just better to make a person feel comfortable. Like if they aren't eating, give them chocolate. You know, nothing is more comforting than having little bits of chocolate. You know, it's I not agree. that they're getting oh. a nourish- Yes, <laughs> I want it all the time myself. But there's nothing, you know, there's no reason why at these final months that a person has to have a nourishing meal. All you yeah. want is something that makes you feel comfortable. So there's this whole new trend towards making the patient feel comfortable, not stressed out, doing things that make them feel easy about what's going on in life so that the passing is easier mm-hmm. and that's so important it's so so important that people should recognize these new developments and findings i agree you know when my mom was on hospice at the end um we it was a she was in the nursing home but we had an outside hospice company 
and mm-hmm. uh, the communication between the nursing home and the hospice company uh, it was there but it it wasn't the directives from hospice weren't taken to heart um mm-hmm. by all the staff at the nursing home which was really upsetting to me as a family member um for example when you're talking about comfort they they were you know in the evenings and it was just one particular nurse she was into taking vitals and it's like it you know you don't need to take her temperature anymore mm-hmm. it, it's it's not mm-hmm. about that's not what any of this is about so don't disrupt her for that don't be giving her a suppository medication that's not comfortable mm. You know, mm-hmm. to bring her fever down. She's she's actively dying. We understand that. We accept that as a family. So make her comfortable. You know, and it was like, what part of this don't you get? Um, and it was very hard to watch. Um, and then there were other staff that were absolutely brilliant and, and things. But, you know, it, it's always that one bad experience that sticks with you and, and eats mm-hmm. away. And so I think right. that, that that it's really important. Our friend um, Harry Urban is um, is listening to the show. I can see him out there. And Harry, I, I don't know if you um, have any comments that you want to make. If you do, just push one on your phone and I'll pull you in. But Harry um, made a, a brilliant comment one time on our dementia chat. And that was, he said, you know, and it, it all gets to the comfort area. And he said, you know, I used to like to relax before I got dementia. I still do. You know, it's not always about keeping one busy. And it looks like Harry wants to add a comment. So I'm gonna Hi Harry, how you doing? I'm doing fine. How are you doing? Doing doing great. Doing great. So any thoughts on our conversation here so far? It's very interesting because I got myself into a lot of trouble this week when I wrote uh, I wrote something about how we tend to overcare a patient. Uh-huh. And uh, my caregiver friends got very angry at me because they saw that as a slap in the face. But I still stand behind that. I think I think we tend to overcare. Just some of the comments that were made about in a nursing home, don't, don't give a, a patient a, a, a suppository, don't do this, don't do that because it's, it's not going to do any good. And it's the same thing with us living with this disease. You know, don't don't over-care for us. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's a good point. That's a very good point. It sounds yeah. like it's time for you to write your book on this, too. <laughs> no, I gave up on that idea. Because <laughs> uh-huh. yeah, I, I know when I wrote this, my book, I felt it, there's a mission involved in it. I want people to understand the complexities and to be able to not go through the mistakes I made and to understand some of the developments that are going on that can help make the decisions easier and make sure that their loved one gets the the care that they really need. And it sounds like you already have a lot of that information with you. Harry does a marvelous Marvelous job. He's one of our experts on dementia chats that we do on the second and fourth mm-hmm. Tuesday of each month. And, uh, you know, Harry, how long have you been living with dementia now? Uh, it's been 10 years now. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and mm-hmm. he is, you know, still such a great activist and, you know, out there just teaching us right and left uh, along with 
you know, Dina Dotson and Steve Ponis and Michael Ellenbogen and Rick Phelps. I mean, they're just all wonderful, wonderful advocates. Um, you know, Richard Taylor, Sandy Helpenberg. Helping, I can't say Sandy's last name all of a sudden. <laughs> Helping. Um, you know, they they are so knowledgeable. And, you know, it would be nice if, if more of the medical profession would tap into the knowledge that exists instead of thinking that we we know it because we don't um and and that's you know such a beautiful um beautiful thing um to be able to actually have a conversation with those going through it and i know a lot of your book i would assume has come through so much of your experiences in helping people through this process you know and trying to figure out how do you how do you get the the best care um some of the things i did want to mention in your book um is a um if you haven't gotten it, this is a great book, Almost Like Home, A Family Guide to Navigating the Nursing Home Maze. And one of the things that I liked about it as soon as I picked it up was the fact that it was easy to read. Um, you know, it's on bright white paper. Um, the sentences and paragraphs are laid out, so there's great spacing. Um, it's larger type. It's... Um, it's laid out really simply and um, broken down to really be able to get you to where you need to go. So it's kind of, it, it could be kind of a little Bible, um, but I also think it's a, a wonderful, wonderful read. And she she breaks down, you know, about monitoring care and rehabilitation and dementia units and um you know, choosing the right one. You know, how do you how do you get into the nursing home? And then mm-hmm. another thing that I loved about your book was the appendix. Um, you have the nursing home checklist. You've got the resident bill of rights. You've got the healthcare proxy. You've got the breakdown of all the different confusing terms that are out there, and how to read a nursing home survey. So this, and you've just worded it real i mean any of us can get this now um so you know you've got in here the voice of experience when to say no and and that's not an easy thing for us to do sometimes and you know with my mom in her her end of life situation i mean it was you know i was so adamant on her being comfortable i probably said no not so nicely but i was <laughs> No, like, no, you are you are not giving her that suppository. Why do you think she needs that? You know, no. Um, it, this is about her. This isn't this. This you know, we have to really get this in perspective. And um, so, I think the book will offer um, our listeners just uh, great information. And you know, you had talked about in the beginning too that you know when someone gets diagnosed. Um, you know, or has any type of chronic illness, knowing your options ahead of time um, instead of being afraid of them and thinking what's coming down the future, but but checking them out. See see what's in your area. You know, if Harry would have believed that, you know, statistics a lot of times would say, you know, person diagnosed with dementia, you know, for a long time, it was, well, only live 7 to 11 years. Well, Harry's still a great advocate. He's out there <laughs> speaking, and he's, you know, developed um, – 
his forget-me-not on Facebook, and I just an incredible advocate, a credible voice. And, you know, he'll, he'll probably live as long as my mom did with the disease, 30 years. So don't don't go down the rabbit hole. Live life. Be purposeful. But know your options. Know your exactly. options. Check them out. Um, get the resources that you deserve um, to make living with dementia as easy as possible. I think sometimes we're, we are our own worst enemy by not wanting to get educated, by by um, thriving on the fear instead of the possibilities with that. Exactly. Um, do you have any tips on how to ensure that your loved one gets the best care? Any any. Guidance. I would imagine making sure people go to like um, quarterly or monthly conferences, whatever, you know, because most nursing mm-hmm. homes will have care conferences. Um, making sure that mm-hmm. they're part of those, I would think, would be a, um, a good a good piece, but only one of many. Um, right. So how how would you how would you suggest that they get good? I care? have a I have a whole chapter on advocacy in, in my book and. I think this is the most important part uh, of the book that many people forget. Getting into a nursing home is only the first part. Making sure a person gets the best care is the next big step. And it's not secondary. It's really primary. And there are several things you can do, but one of the big ones that I found was important was to get to know and be friendly with all the staff, and that's not just the head nurse. That means the aide that comes in and bathes your mom. And that and that also means don't bribe, because that's against the law. A lot of people say, oh, I'm just going to pay money, and I'll make sure I get the right care. Well, that's wrong. First of all, it's against the law. Second of all, it can get your the, the staff in trouble. And third of all, it might not always have the right impact. But... I'll tell a story. Uh, This is about my mother. My mother had some bed sores, and I'm not going to blame the facility. My mother's skin was just so frail that it just, you could touch it, and and she would bruise. So for a while, she was in a particular bed that rocked back and forth so that uh, she was never in one position that long. And It was really good, but one evening I got a call. It turns out it was from my mother's aide, personal aide, who was calling, and she was really, really tentative. She was talking very lowly, and she says, please don't let the the department know I'm calling you, but I noticed that your mother's arm tends to get very close to the side of the bed, and I'm afraid it's going to get caught in the railing. She says... I've told them, I've told the nursing staff that maybe we should put some kind of bumper or you know uh, around the bed so that she doesn't tend to to move to get her arm over, but I'm not sure if they're going to listen to me. Could you please talk to them? But please don't mention my name. Mm-hmm. And sure enough, the next day I did. You know, here this woman was putting herself on the line for me. And I went in and I just said, you know, I noticed Mom is uh, tending to list towards one way, one uh, side of the bed, and I'm afraid she'll get hurt. And the next day we had a bumper all around the bed to protect her from getting too close to the side. 
see, this wasn't anything particular that I did, but because I had the staff looking out for me, I was able to get better care for my mom than if I had just going around you know, or you know ordering people around or yelling at them saying my mom's not getting the care she needs. It's mm-hmm. done out of love, and and I'll uh-huh. never forget that. I was so grateful for that for her that she did that for me. Oh, that was wonderful. It looks like we have a caller on the line, so I'm going to pull in and see if they've got mm-hmm. a question or a comment. We have a caller from a 201 number. You're live and on the air. If you'd state your name and, and question or comment. Hi, it's Michelle DeSocio. Oh, hi, Michelle. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you? Very good, very good. Did you have a question or a comment that you'd like to ask? I did have a comment. Um, I think this is great what Joanna has done here because... Uh, my mom, as you know, is walking this journey 15 years. She lived with me for five, misdiagnosed, and once she was diagnosed, they told her she had less than three years to live, and mm-hmm. she she insisted on placement and put her foot down, and we had no guidance. We had nothing. Uh, we had the Internet and some social workers and Medicare.gov and, you know, comparing nursing homes and you know, running from place to place to place to place and revisiting, and it was just chaotic and chaotic. And when we finally did find a place, it was good for mom while she was in the early stages, but as the disease progressed, they were not qualified to care for her, and we had to move her once again. And at this point, she was much more difficult and became combative, and now nobody wants to take them. And you have a whole process to go through to get that fixed, before you can replace someone once they're listed as combative. So these resources are are priceless. Um, um takes takes so much stress off the family and you never want to make decisions when you're under crisis and chaos. So I think this is wonderful. I agree. Well, thank you. Um Joanna, do you have, because this is really common when people get aggressive, do you have any recommendations for people? Because there we have so few resources out there, and this is something I hear from people all the time. What do I do? Where do I go? And they just really feel like their hands are tied, and many times they are. That that That's very true. There are, it really depends a lot on, the situation, like does she become aggressive in the evening? Is it all the time? Are there certain situations that initiate this? Uh, as we've talked before, music has been a very big uh, way of helping people. And sometimes listening to music can calm a person down. Uh, there's sometimes also... I, There's a lot of controversy about it, but there are uh, medications, drugs that do, I think, just kind of put a little bit of a, uh, take the edge off. You know, because many times people get panicky. A little bit of a sedative might help a little bit. I'm not advocating for this, but sometimes just taking the panic out of a person can help. So it really depends on the situation, how it's dealt with. And, of course, you know, you try one thing. If that doesn't work, um, try something else. It is Mm -hmm. very difficult. There is no real one, two, three way of 
taking care of people with Alzheimer's. It's uh-huh. it's a journey. It's it's definitely well, a journey. We we had to um our mom's mom's agitation did come from over medication without uh, our knowledge. I uh, noticed that's it right terrible. away, went right to the chart, demanded that mom be taken off this increased insane amount of medication over a couple of days. I warned them she was gonna fall. She ended up breaking her arm. They told me that uh, um she was faking. And this was from oh. the head nurse there. Yeah. I, and that's when I decided that was it, it's over. But I had to take mom to a geriatric behavior center for 10 days to reevaluate her medications, and the results were miraculous. It was harder on the family than mom. She wanted to stay there. That's <laughs> very um, amazing. We were, yeah, poly, uh, we were that's hope- called polypharmacy. That's what too many medications. And that should never have been done without your consent. That yes, is I have totally against proxy and power of attorney, and I was always informed. And this, I knew right away just by looking at mom, something was wrong, and went right to that chart. And mm-hmm. unfortunately, the doctor got insulted that I wanted mom off the medicine. He took her off and put her in withdrawal. He did not taper her off. <gasps> oh, I would it take her out of that place. She was gone. That's that was terrible. I, I, she was nev- never returned. She went from the geriatric place, got her stuff, and in those 10 days we had a new place. Good for you. Wow. You're a good advocate. Yeah, definitely. It, it was, but we had no, no, no guidance. I mean, I was lucky. I worked in health care, and I was a f- chief financial officer for many years with a big nonprofit, and they guided mm-hmm. me. But with that, if I didn't have someone... To guide me, I don't know what we would have done because when we went to the state, they they looked at mom's chart and they said maybe she should go to a psych ward for the next six months. We didn't get the backup for mom's advocacy from the state. Oh, terrible, terrible. They went by what the, you know the doctors wrote, not what we were trying to say and what we knew was happening. You know, CYA. Yeah. It's a, it's interesting out there, to say the least. Well, thank you for calling in, Michelle. We've got another caller on the line here, too, I'd like to great pull in. So. And great topic. Thank you so much. Thank you, Michelle. We've got a caller on a 909 number. You are live and on the air. If you'd state your name and your question or comment. Hello, my name is Gail, um, and I would just like to comment on, you know, the patience and their aggressiveness. Um, I found the thing that worked the best in all the places we went to was trying to get the staff to understand that, um, you know, sometimes they don't want to get dressed or they want to walk around in pajamas. Um, A lot of times the aggression came out of the staff trying to entice more people to put their loved ones there. So they wanted to make sure everybody looked like a normal house, you know, clean, you know, always clean clothes, done hair. And that's good for them, but some patients just can't be pushed mm-hmm. um, to live like that anymore. And if their and- basic needs are being met and they're safe, then perhaps they should just let that go. Um, that's a good, very I, I good point. That's, that's uh, There's a trend in nursing homes in some places called culture change, which is the trend towards having 
a nursing home be patient-oriented as opposed to staff-oriented. In other words, uh, in most cases, the staff determines the schedule. You know, everybody gets up at 7. Uh, everybody eats at ten, uh, at 9 because it's convenient right. for them. But a, but a patient-oriented facility is a facility that says, I don't want to get up at 7 in the morning. I like to sleep till 9. Or uh, I don't like to get dressed right away. I don't want my shower in the morning. I like to get dressed later, and I want my shower at night. And it, it is a movement. You know, it's more human. It's it's harder on the staff, but it's more fulfilling because you have people who are not kind of in a military setting. They're in a home-type setting. I, I think that's what you said is a good point. Yeah, yeah it's I, I, they live in a different reality, and I mm-hmm. think, you know, when people, the loved ones come to visit, it's harder than them on them than it is the patient, and forcing mm-hmm. our reality on them is kind of a denial for us, and I think that's why a lot of people just can accept that the body's changing, and maybe that's why they push for antibiotics or prolonging life even longer. Exactly. Um, that's a, Mm-hmm. Huge topic, but I think, you know, it needs to start with families. Um, times are changing uh, for their loved one, and they need to face that eventually. And, you know, it's just a hard mm-hmm. situation for everyone. So, But, yeah, the aggression yeah. is very was very much dependent on the refusal to do things the way, you know, the home wants it run. Yeah, I think it's... Case. I think it's important, too. I know, like with my mom, um, I've used this example before many times on the radio, but um, she didn't like her teeth brushed because it, it hurt, or she didn't like taking a shower because, it, you know, her her nerves were closer to her skin. And and so we had to change. And one of the things we ended up doing with her teeth was, you know, that she stopped using the toothbrush, and she went to the swabs, and then she went to the to the rinse. But her, her teeth got decayed, and part of it is educating people in terms of comfort, educating them that um, it's, it's you know, for our family it was okay that my mom's teeth got rotted because she was happy. She was mm-hmm. content. And and so when people understand that, they look at those things differently. You know, um, it's not, it, it doesn't have to be disgusting. It doesn't have to reflect bad care. It really is about giving very person-centered care and respecting where they're at instead of ruining her day, you know, getting in a fight, brushing her teeth in the morning at night, um, you know, because she didn't understand what that was, and it really didn't matter anymore to her. You know, her ego had kind of left the building. So I I think that that's a very, very good point on on many levels. So I thank you for calling in, Gail. we're going to have to wrap up this session because I, I, I want to get into our open mic um, session as well here. And um, this has just been a fabulous conversation, though, Joanna, and I, I hope that uh, you get a lot of book sales out of this because, uh, again, I think the book is, is written really, really well. Is there any last information that you, you know, tips that you want to um, give families or loved ones and, and even people who work in nursing homes or in the field, um, any last-minute advice you'd like to give? Uh, just, I'd like to state that you know Alzheimer's is a condition. Uh, it's a progressive condition, and 
people who have it do not stop being themselves. They they are slowly losing capacities, but they're still a person in there, and they still have feelings, and they still have social skills, and they still have uh, there still are memories in there. And, and I think what people have to realize is that there are they're still alive, and you still have to treat them as they as if they are still functioning. You just have to slowly change the way you speak to them. A lot of it is much more emotional. They're much more feeling than they were before. And I think it's an important road that both you and they have to go down together. Um, And um, I'm hoping that what I've put in my book can help people. And I, I hope that it makes the the journey a little easier. I appreciate well, you know, the time you've given me here. Oh well, this is this has been like I said a fabulous conversation. I like that you point out that they're more emotional because I think also with that it teaches us to connect on a, on a deeper mm-hmm. level. It'll it gives us an opportunity, um, you know. And I've always been a pretty connective person, but this has been um, this journey has has up the ante in terms of my comprehension, my awareness, my compassion, um, and my ability to really have a, a, I I can't even tell you the layers of of depth that I've worked through um, in terms of like my relationship with my mom. I didn't, I didn't know a relationship could be that deep, you know, and could be that solid even when you're not talking. Mm-hmm. And I always knew there was love, but it there were so many layers of unconditional love um, that we went through in this process that was just so beautiful. And um, appreciating that emotional side makes us look at things very differently, I think. And so I think that I was think a great, so. great point. Um, Joanna, what's the best way for people to get a hold of you? What uh, What contact information would you like them to have? Okay, well, you can always reach me through my my website, which is www.joannaleifer, that's J-O-A-N-N-A-L-E-E-F as in Frank, E-R.com. You can get me through my my email, which is jleifer, again, it's J-L-E-E-F as in Frank, E-R.com, or call me, 917-923-5100. I'd love to hear from you. I'd love to be able to hear your story and, if possible, to help you with in your journey. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for your time today. It really, it really was a pleasure to have you have you with us. And again, um, the name of the book that Joanna wrote is Almost Like Home: A Family Guide to Navigating the Nursing Home Maze. Thank you again so much for your time with us today. It's been my pleasure. I've enjoyed speaking with you. Okay, bye now. Bye. I'm going to go ahead and just do some mid-program highlights, even though we're a little over midway. Um, our last uh, radio show was uh, talking about making decisions when dementia hits. So how do you know um, when it's safe for a person with dementia to make certain types of decisions? That was a, 
a fascinating conversation, and uh, I would recommend that you listen to that. We also talked with an author who who talked about her journey with dementia as well. Our show next week, we're going to feature um, author Eric Rill, who wrote An Absent Mind, and his book really dives into the, the ticking time bomb of dementia. Um, will it pull his family together or tear it apart? What's it doing to yours? How are you dealing with it? So I, th- I know that'll be a great conversation as well. So you might want to mark that on your calendar. Um, if you're not following us, um, please go ahead and do that um, just click on that and you'll get notifications. Our next Dementia Chats will be coming up on the 28th of this month. And our last one on April 8th was posted. And we talked about the Easter holiday coming up. What changes have been made since the diagnosis of dementia for celebrating the holidays? Um, we talked about um, getting services in home like home health care. Um, how does it work? We talked about technology and how do you handle all the changes and we also discussed support groups. Are they helpful um, and does family have their their own groups um, or do they go together as one? And again, our panel of experts on dementia chats are people who are diagnosed with dementia and they just give us brilliant, brilliant insights. Um, on the blog this past week, we have um, a survey from MindStart that only takes a couple of minutes, and they develop products and services for dementia, so I would recommend you take that. There is also another survey that is put together about um they really want to help make the voice of people living with dementia heard in Washington, and so that was posted on the ninth. Um, we also posted the the full song, the Purple Angel link, um, on the website as well, or on the the um, the blog. And then our intern Michelle wrote a article called "Making Connections" on the 13th. And on the 12th, there's a posting for the International Conference for Alzheimer's Disease International, which will be held May 1st through the 4th in. Um, San Juan in Puerto Rico, and I wish I could be there, but I'm going to be at another engagement for the Lutheran Home Association uh, here in Minnesota at Mystic Lake, which people are more than welcome to come to. Uh, There's also the video on young onset dementia, which uh, Bacchus Saba put together, which is wonderful. And there's a great um, article about Elon Caspi's website where he has over 500 free resources to help um, with residents who and um, people living with dementia who get aggressive. And so those are all great, great um, resources for you again. Um, Let's see. I want to, again, mention the Purple Angel Project. If you're interested in learning more about this new global symbol, please reach out to me by email at Lori at Alzheimer's Speaks. I'd love to have a conversation with you. If you're looking for resources um, for any Alzheimer's Association around the world, check out Alzheimer's Disease International there. You can also get that conference information. The Alzheimer's Studies Group has the two uh, clinical trials going. One is tau and another is for frontal temporal lobe uh, dementia. If you want to help out with those, um, 
please get a hold of them, the Alzheimer's Studies Group, or you can go to the Alzheimer's team if you're a Facebook person. And then don't forget the Alzheimer's Research and Prevention Foundation. Um, they take more of a holistic approach. The Lewy Body um, Dementia Association, the National Aphasia Association, and the Frontal Temporal um, Association as well is very, very uh, uh, critical, critical piece there. So let's go ahead and get started with um, our open mic. So if you have any um, questions or comments, please uh, call in at 714-364-4757. That is 714 Four seven five seven, and I'm going to pull Harry in because my guess is Mr. Harry Urban always has a comment. So, Harry, any any thoughts? Anything you want to discuss um, for open mic? Paul, you know me so well. <laughs> yeah, I, I just I just wanted to comment on the uh, on the on the nursing facility uh, conversation we just had, and now I look. I look through the eyes of a patient. That's all I know. That's all I see. And now, if I if I live long enough, the probability of me going into some kind of care facility is great. Now, one of the one of the things that that um, we talked about quite a bit. One of the requirements is the ratio between staff and patients. Mm-hmm. Now, if it's if 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 the ratio is, is very, very large and there's only a couple staff and, and a large amount of patients, how do they, I don't want to say control because that, we're not animals, but how do, they, how, do they, um, how do they keep order in the house? Do they, do they overuse the use of drugs? You know, I don't want to go into any, any care facility that, that they're going to, they're going to drug me up and have me sit on a chair, and and I'm going to sit there for half a day because now they don't have to they don't have to put up with me, you know that type mm-hmm. of thing. That's one of the most important aspects I see of of where I want to go. Well, and that's that's a really really good point. Um, and you know, each care um, community's ratios uh, vary, and they can vary. Um, you know, depending on budgets and stuff, um, you know, it might be one thing and then all of a sudden budgets could change and it could be another thing. Um, sometimes you can see a big difference just in terms of who who are those people um, because you can have numbers and then you can have really compassionate carers that kind of go up above and beyond, um, you know, typical care that can make a huge, huge difference. So those are all good questions, Um not anything that I, I, that I think we can give a, a carte blanche answer to, but I think it's important to, you know, really, you know, really hang out and see what it's like at all different times if you're looking at, at possibly moving. Um, and have conversations. Ask for some references of people who have placed people there. What did they like? You know, what went well? What didn't go so well? Because it's not going to be perfect either all the time. I mean, living at home. I mean, anyways, in my house, it ain't always perfect. I don't know. Maybe it is at yours. But I mean, we, you know, we have our good days and our bad days, too. So I think we have to let go of perfection. I, I think um, I think there are definitely 
some nursing homes and some um, residential communities that um, overuse drugs to control behaviors. And, um, you know, I don't think that that's acceptable, but I, I see and I hear that all the time from people. And, you know, we need more people like Al Powers out there talking about dementia beyond the drugs. Um, and Judy Berry, you know, um, talking about how to curb um, those reactions in a different fashion without using drugs. And, and not that they aren't appropriate at times, um, but sometimes I think that they are overused. And I think that that is something that, that families have to be very aware of. Um, I had someone approach me the other day, and she's like, I don't know where to go. If I talk to the staff, if I talk to the doctor, do I talk to the nurse? Um, do I talk to the pharmacist? Do I talk to the neurologist or their general GP, you know, who do I talk to? And it's like I, sometimes you have to talk to them all because, you know, the psychiatrist might be ordering something different from the neurologist and they could not get along well. You know, there might be some contraindications um, with those medications. So I think I think that's a really good point that you brought up, Harry, of, you know, how how does that work? And there there isn't a good answer because um, everybody kind of does it their own way. Um, they've got their own rules um, as far as ratio, but, um, you know, things change. And, and it can take, I've seen it even on where my mom lived, where it would take just one person to kind of upset the apple cart. You know, if they if they had an outburst, you know, that that energy spreads. Um, and it makes other people nervous and agitated as well. And so it can get out of control quickly. Um, I don't know. Any other thoughts that you have? You me? Yep. Oh, yeah. Uh, I, I think I think another point, too. Now, one more point, and then we'll go on to something else. But I think safety in a... In a uh, in a facility is, is very important because I, I speak to so many so many caregivers that 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 they tell me that when they go to visit their their loved ones that that they see uh, black and blue marks on them, mm-hmm. okay, or something like that, and they find out that another patient is being aggressive with them, you know, so. Mm-hmm. So one of the things I would ask too is is how do you handle those kind of situations? You know, because you don't you put your loved ones in a in a facility to be safe and they're not being mistreated by the staff or anybody there, but but there might be another patient that is doing it. You know, and, that's, and that that's, can happen, yeah. Yeah, it, and and it does happen, yeah. Mm-hmm. And sometimes mm-hmm. they, they can be pretty tricky. And so it isn't necessarily always seen, you <laughs> know, yeah. when, when, yeah. it, when, mm-hmm. it, when it happens. Um, the other thing, though, that I do want to mention is that, you know, as we age, um, some of us bruise easier and faster. And so sometimes I, I know with my mom, there would be times it's like, oh, my gosh, she just looks like she's been pulverized. <laughs> but what we found was that she would bump into things and just bruise really easily. And it was it was kind of shocking. And so we had to kind of learn to adjust for that. Um, you know, her blood vessels were just a little closer to the skin than what they used to be. And um, 
but uh, you can definitely tell. I mean, if there's handprints and um, you know different things too. But but you know when bruising starts to occur, um, I think you have to be cautious. You definitely have to protect your loved one first, but also realize that some things might be changing and some bruises um, can be caused very very innocently. Um, and sometimes they're self-induced, um, even with scratches. Um, I had found with my mom, there would be times where she looked like she had been scratched, and we found out she had actually scratched herself, and it was really her, her nails needed to be cut shorter because she um, didn't have the ability to, um, how do you want to say, control um, and, and know that that was going to, going to scratch her you know she was scratching too hard um at times so yeah it's it's interesting stuff and there are obud obudmanson uh, ob- i can't say that word either obudmanson um people that you can contact if you aren't getting anywhere in your community they're through the state um and they're in every state i believe and they will help you um kind of reconcile and bring attention to an issue and help you advocate for for your loved one, because that that's that's spooky stuff. That's really you know spooky stuff when it comes to safety. And it could be um, physical abuse. It could be financial abuse. Um, you know, it might be endangerment in terms in terms of them wandering. Um, I mean, there's all different types of of levels that that could occur there. Is there an example um, specifically that comes to mind regarding safety, Harry, that you wanted to highlight? Uh, yeah, well, um, the, the thing that, that I hear most about is um, somebody somebody gets gets something, a doll or, or anything, and some other patient recognizes this this article as theirs. So all mm-hmm. of a sudden, there's, there's a dispute going on between that. But um, I really can't think of anything, you know. But on, on a on a different top on a different topic, uh, I have to tell you, I was sitting outside yesterday uh, on my chair in the deck. Sun was out. Had a cup of coffee. My dog was laying by my feet, and I said something that. I didn't think I would ever say. When I sat there, I said to myself, boy, I'm hot. Now, it's been a long <laughs> winter. It's uh-huh. been a long winter. And, and here I am sitting outside, and all of a sudden it struck me that, hey, I'm hot, you know. And it was such a nice, it was such a nice feeling. <laughs> uh-huh. Oh. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's it it is nice spring has finally sprung. <laughs> it's still it's still a little bit cool here, but um it's nice to be able and you like to sit outside. Um uh, what's the temperature I, I like do, where you, know, you are? Well, it was up in the, it was up like seventy five yesterday. Now we're gonna have a couple of days of, of in the fifties, but I can live with that. But uh-huh. what, what's interesting what's interesting is, is when I was sitting outside, um, when you look with dementia, I got to thinking, how am I going to get rid of these winter draws? 
Mm-hmm. You know, because you, you get into a you get into a routine of of I hate winter. You know, now how do you shake that feeling? What do you do to to get yourself out of it? And uh, uh, I found out being outside, taking a walk, getting back to nature. You know, I I like reconnecting with nature. That, that's what I call it. I, I love sitting outside there and watching the birds and and watching the grass grow and things like that. It's and it's an exciting life. But um, you build up all this stress and all this anxiety over winter, and you have to have some kind of way to get get rid of it. Mm-hmm. And it's it's hard to teach people how to do that. Yeah, it very it, it is. Do you have some suggestions on that? My suggestion is get outside, get out in the sun, <laughs> you know, and and enjoy life. I mean, don't uh, don't let don't let your disease control you. You know, I I always say I have Alzheimer's. It doesn't have me, and, and it's simple to say, but but. Uh, uh, I just don't let my disease take control of my life. I just, I just do new things. I, I try to do things different. Mhm. And and what does does Hazel have any input on you, in terms of doing things different or? No, she just shakes her head. Uh, <laughs> she, I mean, she knows she knows my new way isn't going to work. But God love her, she lets me do it anyway. And uh-huh. <laughs> she she cleans up the mess after me, but uh, she she's run over the years to go with the flow, you know. Uh, like like I said, we had we had the conversation about overcaring, and uh, there's a tendency to to tell somebody, well, you can't do that because you have you have dementia, uh-huh. and uh, you know I always reply, well, how how do you know I can't do it until I try? You know, mm-hmm. and you know what? It doesn't bother me if I fail. It uh-huh. doesn't bother me one bit if I can't do something. Now, it bothers you. If you mm-hmm. see me, if you see me struggling tying my shoes, that doesn't bother me because after a while I just give up. You know, and they, uh-huh. and they stay on tight. But but to you, the caregiver, that really bothers you. So the first thing you have to do is do it for me. Uh huh. And and that's a that's a really good lesson for us, you know, is who does it really bother and and why? You know, um looking at that a little bit different and just you know, looking for signs, uh, you know, are you getting agitated if you are struggling tying your shoes or something? Um but don't assume that um that it's something that needs to be fixed because we all like to do things independently and and things, so I, I think that that's a that that's a a good good point to bring to bring up there. Um, Harry, anything else that you want to talk about? I know that you had um, you went and spoke with with Gary LeBlanc um, the other week. Can you tell us a little bit about that uh, that presentation that you you and Gary did? Oh yeah, well. Uh... I just uh, I just gave my I just gave my two cents at the end of his speak. You know, like always, I always have something to say. And don't ask me what I think, because I'll tell you that type of thing. Uh-huh. But um, Gary and I and uh, and my daughter and uh, and Dolores, we we had lunch together, 
and it turned out to be a, a three-and-a-half-hour lunch. You know, we just uh-huh. sat there and we just talked. And I happened to mention, mention to Gary that for those three-and-a-half hours, I forgot I had Alzheimer's. Oh. And it made such a... It made such a big impression on him, and I told him, there's a reason for that. I said, because you treated me like I don't have Alzheimer's. Mm-hmm. You know, we just sat down and had had a wonderful talk, and we were just two old friends just, just chatting. It, it wasn't that he was trying to analyze me or... Uh, correcting what I said or or anything like that. It was just two old friend, friends. When we made a mistake, we laughed about it. You know, it was so yeah. nice. And, and for those three and a half hours, I completely forgot that I had that. And it was just, it was just two friends or four friends talking. Oh, that's nice. And that's you know that's how we should always be. Um, with people, I, I don't know why. Again, it gets into our need for control, and um, you know, wanting things the way it was. But just accepting people for who they are—it's—it's it's not as difficult as we make it out to be sometimes. Um, and just really enjoying one another's company, because um, none of us are are better or worse, no matter what our circumstances are. We should all just be equal. Um, and be appreciative for for what one another brings to the table. And, you know, when we get past our ego, we can have such brilliant, fun conversations. And there's nothing better than sitting and laughing with a friend, Um, I I don't think, anyways. So, yeah, I haven't had the pleasure of meeting Gary yet, but I'm I'm hoping to do so soon. Um, Oh, I, I hope you do meet him. He's just doing such great work. Just doing such great work out there. Um, so, the group of people that you talked to, um, who were you, who were you addressing? Uh, it, it was it was in a um, it was in a nursing facility, and it was open to uh, to anybody. And uh-huh. uh, I guess I guess there I don't know maybe close to fifty people or so there. Uh-huh. And it's interesting when I get up to talk. Uh, you know me; I'm very energetic. I, I'm very passionate about what what I talk about. And then when somebody always asks me, "Well, Harry, how long have you had your disease?" and I say, "Well, last January, ten years ago, I was diagnosed with it." And of course, they can't believe that I have this disease, and it all goes along with the stigma that goes uh-huh. with this. And uh, I tried to explain to him that there's more and more people like me now standing up and and explaining what it's like to live with this disease. And uh-huh. the best thing you can do is just sit back, relax, don't get offended by us, and just listen to what we're saying. Mm-hmm. Good advice. Good, good, good advice. That's That's for sure. Um, so, Harry, how is your? Um, I'm going to switch the topic a little bit. How is your group growing on on Forget Me Nots? Anything new and exciting there that you want to tell us about? Uh, yeah, we we have we have we have a lot of growing pains. Mm-hmm. But we also have we also have some of the 
of the um, of the best caregivers, um, people with advice, you know, professional people on that group. And it's it's really amazing because it, it's not, you know, when you think of Facebook, you think of a social media, a, a bunch of people just sitting sitting around the you know, just and just talking about the the doom and gloom of this disease and stuff like that. But forgive me, not it's not like that. Uh, we have we have a lot of professional people. Somebody comes up with a question, and you get three, four, five different people giving their opinions. Mm-hmm. You know, and it is and it is so helpful because uh, a lot of times if you just hear it one way, that's the way you believe. But when you hear it come from uh, you know, several different people, then you can, then you can say, oh, you know, everybody's different, so it affects me this way, but it affects that person some way else. Uh huh. And it, well, it, 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 it's so interesting. Well, and it is, it it is neat to get those different conversations going because it really just makes, it, you know, it changes. It, I know it's changed my perspective sometimes. Um, not all the time, um, and other times it just supports my thought process, um, which is pretty darn nice too. You know, when you're not quite sure what's going on, and you know, is this the right decision or not, um, and you you get those comments um, from people, it's just it's so reassuring, and it it really helps remove that that feeling of isolation. And um, and of loneliness and talking to people that understand um, what it is you're going through and and can talk, you know, logically yet compassionately um, on the uh, on the issue because sometimes family and friends don't always understand. I don't think um, what what exactly you're talking about or how it feels. Um, would would you tend to agree with that, Harry? Absolutely. One of my one of my passions, uh, as you so already know, is uh, starting up mentor programs. Now, mm-hmm. uh, I just spoke at the uh, Lancaster, Gen- uh, Lancaster General Health Campus uh, with Mary Howard a couple weeks ago, and what we did is we we spoke to a group of newly diagnosed patients. And uh, my goal was that that um, I used the example when I when I was diagnosed with diabetes, I had a I had a meeting set up with a dietitian to go over my my diet and uh, another care facility person that that went over my lifestyle changes I had to make because of my diabetes. But mm-hmm. when I was diagnosed with with uh, with Alzheimer's, nobody spoke to me. I had no idea. I had to find out my own answers. Now, I'm not faulting my doctor uh, because, uh, you know, 10 years ago, you just didn't talk about this stuff. What's uh-huh. different? People people want to know, you know. Yeah. And it, it's so interesting when, when, you get, when you get into a group of people like that and, first of all, they're very, they're very uh, reserved and shy, but... Once you get to talking to them and they find out that they're talking to somebody with this disease, they kind of let their hair down and they ask so many interesting questions about this disease. 
And, mm-hmm. you know, it, it's kind of funny because you hear the same questions over and over and over again, but it's the same, it's the same far-fetched myth. You know, like, like, like you brought up the, up the one that, you know, woman just came out and asked me, well, Harry, I thought the lifespan was only seven years mm-hmm. when I told her that, that I just celebrated my, I said, oh my goodness, I hope I didn't die and somebody didn't tell me. You know, uh-huh. but you have, you have to, my my goal is that, that even though you're diagnosed with this disease, you have to project the idea of hope. You have to give the patient a meaning of life. You have yep. to give them the willingness to to go on because it, it, is, it is one of those devastating uh, diagnoses that when I walked out of the office, you know, I thought, I'm like silver. You know, I mm-hmm. couldn't be any lower than what I was. And then I found out that that's not true. You know, in the past 10 years, I have climbed so many mountains that, uh, I mean, I can't even, be, you know, start to tell you about them. That, you know, my mountains, now, they might be a little hill or a rise for somebody, but to me, they were, they were major achievements. Mm-hmm. And, and you have to let the... Uh, you have to let the dementia patient know that that there is life after your diagnosis. Yep, definitely a lot of a lot of life after diagnosis. That's for sure. And um, I, you know, I just I, I have to chuckle sometimes when people, you know, they're still throwing out this, you know, seven to to ten year lifespan thing, and, and I'm just seeing so many people living so much longer. Um, you know, I, I really think, uh, and this is my personal thought, that, that those are old statistics and that we know so little about um, dementia and Alzheimer's as a whole. Um, and I think we have to talk about that more, that, that we are, we're in the baby stages of really knowing this disease um, and, and what it is and how it, how it works, you know, and... Um, you know, giving somebody, you know, kind of that death sentence, um, I think really does us an injustice um, because some people take that seriously. And I and I look at you and, and, oh, and Rick and Richard and Sandy and, and so many others out there and Barry, um, you're just doing incredible work and you've got a long, healthy life in front of you, even if you've got a chronic illness. You know, you are still a, a huge contributing um, factor to society and, and making great, great impact. And if we allow people to lose hope, I, I just think that that's so wrong. You know, I, I just really think that's got to change big time out there, you know, with things. I just mm, drives me bananas. But anyways... <laughs> What's what's new? What's new? Um, I, there's there's um, you know a lot of work going on with different um, uh, communities um, and organizations popping up. Um, Joanna Leifer had said you know that this is turning into big money. Are you seeing that as well? I know that I am definitely seeing that um, happening a lot out there. Absolutely. And, I- I see a lot of a lot of communities being built around around dementia. They mm-hmm. they have their own uh, 
within the community, they have their own uh, entities. They have their own shopping malls, gas stations, whatever. But it's a it, it's a kind of um, it, it, it's kind of like you don't have to leave. You don't have to leave your neighborhood. Uh-huh. You have everything you want right there. Mhm. And and those are those are um are nice, you know, to be able to have have the neighborhood, but yet, you know, you want to be able to maneuver around as well. So it it's it's just an interesting process of of how do you know what what is going to happen and and how is it going to work and and you know, when does it change? You know. What, once again, whose eyes are you looking through? Are you looking through the patient's eyes, or are you looking through the caregiver's eyes? Mm-hmm. I don't. I don't care. I don't care what's outside of my community. If I'm happy, if I'm happy with what I'm surrounded with, then I'm happy. I mean, it, uh-huh. it, it's a happy place for me. But you know, a lot of times people think we need more. No, we uh-huh. don't need more. We just need what makes us happy. Mhm. Good point. Good point as usual. So, well, wonderful. Well, I think I'm going to go ahead and wrap up the show here unless you've got anything else that you um specifically wanted to cover. It doesn't look like anyone else is calling in today or I don't see any other um notes in the chat box here. Sometimes we do. We have ongoing conversations and sometimes not. So, um, but I don't want to just hang out here just for airtime. Um, but if there, if there is something else that you want to cover, we can easily talk about it. We've got about ten minutes left too. So, was oh, no, there I'm, anything I'm, else? Nope. You're good. Nope. I'm 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 just gonna I'm just gonna go out and watch it rain. You're gonna watch it rain, huh? Yeah. Well, I'm just thrilled that the sun is out. We got blue skies here, and the birds are chirping. I can't wait to open up my windows, but I, mm-hmm. I closed them while I'm doing the show here because I work out of the house, and I thought they'd just get a little too loud because boy, they're pretty active out there today. <laughs> so, well, Harry, as always, it's a pleasure to have you on the show and um, and hear your thoughts. So, again, I appreciate all you do. You just add so much value into so many people's lives with the, the work and the advocacy that you're doing. So I thank you for for so, all that you do. Thank for you so much, Chloe. Okay, you take care now. Okay, thank we'll you. talk soon. Bye-bye. Well, I think I'm going to go ahead and wrap up the show again. One more time, I'm just going to make the announcement that if you're looking for an Alzheimer's Association anywhere in the world, check out Alzheimer's Disease International. Um, If you want to get involved with a a study on tau or frontal temporal lobe, check out the Alzheimer's Studies group or on Facebook. It's the Alzheimer's Team. And again, if you are one who wants to take a holistic approach to this disease, please go to the Alzheimer's Research and Prevention Foundation. They really do a wonderful job with with taking a holistic approach uh, to things. And then if you're dealing with Lewy body, 
um, please remember that there is an association specific to Lewy body dementia. Same with the frontal temporal lobe dementia. Both have their own organizations, and sometimes people struggle um, with speech, and the National Aphasia Association can really give you some good guidance and support there. So, until next Tuesday when we're going to have Eric Rill on, um, and he is the author, again, of, let's see, The Absent Mind. I think that's going to be a very interesting conversation as well. So uh, we will talk soon and have a brilliant week. Bye now. Hey everybody, Jared Sebesti, your host of Retire Repurposed. This podcast is dedicated to help people transition into fulfilling and purposeful retirements. Retirement is a big life change. In fact, the two most dangerous years of a person's life are the year they were born and the year they retire. Few people could just flip the switch from working a career 30 or 40 plus years retiring on Friday without methodical steps to living what we call a repurposed retirement. To listen now, search Retire Repurposed on your favorite podcast platform, Senior Resource, or Life Audio.